right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Science in between. In here between. we are. This is yes. Scott. I'm Ollie. Yep. So here we are. We uh we're you know texting back and forth the last couple of days like for ideas that for some upcoming shows. And one of the things I threw out was something I found in my mailbox a, a week or two that I just a two ago that was sitting on my desk and I I really hadn't opened it. Um, but then I was like, oh wow, this is this is something. Um, we both subscribe. This is something right here. There you go. We both uh, subscribe to, or we're part of an organization in which uh, the Journal of Teacher Education is the uh, like the flagship journal for AACTE, which is the uh, American Association for Colleges of Teacher Education, mm-hmm. or some combination thereof. Right. That's you know. And so this uh, this latest issue, a March April issue. Um, it's kind of chonky, I guess would be the best way to describe it, right? Chonky? Is wow, it chonky? I don't, I don't know, man. You're on, you're on your own in this territory. Trying <laughs> <laughs> to use the hip lingo, you know, yeah, with the kidding. Char- yeah, you characterize it however you want, man. It's yeah. all you. So what they did was they have uh, gathered a bunch of like of the big thinkers because it's like, I guess it's an anniversary edition. Um, it's 75 years that the organization's been around. And yep. to do that, this is like their anniversary edition. And they've brought back some of the folks who have written like seminal articles and had them um, go back and like revisit them. So, you know, for those of you who are like in teacher education, people like Lee Schulman are in this, Marilyn Cochran Smith, uh, Ken Zeichner, Linda Darling Hammond, you know, those folks are like big names in teacher education. If you're not in teacher education, this is going to like kind of be like how the sausage is made, right? This is like the, you know, it's kind of inside baseball a little bit, but it's it's also going to be helpful because, you know, this is how we prepare teachers. And these are the thinkers who really have set the stage or, you know, really informed practice in, in teacher education over the last 25 years. And so this issue assembled a bunch of these, you know, seminal articles and they had these folks all revisit them and say, okay, you know, you wrote this 10 years ago, or you wrote this 20 years ago. What do you think now? How do you think the field's changed? What would you change? What do you, you know, reviewing your younger self and your younger self's thinking, like, what would you add or change, which is kind of cool. You know, it's kind of a cool concept. I typically, when I get a JTE in the mail, I'll read an article or two. I flip through all of them, read the abstracts, but maybe one will like resonate with me. This was, I read everything here. It was just like an afternoon of joy. It was like, ah, so, so much good stuff. You skipped to the end. I know. Yeah. To the joys. I Well, it was, it's not the joy I'm going to share today, but it was really joyful, you know, because it, it, made, it really made me think about like stuff we do. And so as we, you and I were texting yesterday, we're probably going to talk about some other, uh, other, you know, articles in this, but we landed on talking about, uh, an article by Ken, actually two articles, a reprint and his rejoiner of uh, Ken Zeichner's article that appeared, I guess, in 2012. It's a reprint of that. Um, the turn once again towards practice-based teacher education, mm-hmm. which, you know, practice. Yeah. Well, and I I identify as a practice-based teacher educator, right? Like if, and I say that in my my publications and presentations and all sure. just walking around like, Hey, how you hey, doing? I'm a stopping people at the street. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know, man, but uh, it's just nice to meet you. 
Well, I think that's an important part, place to start because what does that mean? Because mm. I think, you know, I think Zeichner throws out some like a pretty clear definition of what he thinks it is, right? Mm. And I don't know, like, do you agree with it? Like, well, what, I think I think you should, you know, we'll we'll play it back and forth here. So why don't you read his his or what you consider to be his definition? He he also, I, not that I want to get into a dispositional throwdown with you, but he does right. name dispositions. He does here. name dispositions. Uh, he specifically says dispositions, skills, and knowledge, and he yes, says he dispositions a bunch of times. Yes. yes. So yes. Me, me and Ken Zeichner, you know, yeah. Well, yeah. as I said, like I, I'm I don't always, that one up. <laughs> I, I'm I don't always agree with Ken Zeichner, but I do mm. find his writing always thoughtful, reflective. Absolutely, it's, al- it's always something where I go, yeah, yeah. It makes me think about what I do as a teacher educator. It makes me want to do things differently or different or maybe better. Um, mm. But I don't always agree with him. Um, so. The idea he presents, and you know, he, the, he doesn't talk about this, uh, you know, specifically. But he says that this way: what makes a teacher education course practice based is its systematic focus on developing teacher candidates' abilities to successfully enact high leverage practices. So I don't know what high leverage practices are. Like he, he doesn't really say what that is. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's another buzzword, but. Sure. But I think I think the notion of high leverage practices is that they like there's lots of there are lots of things you have to learn to to become a teacher and and some of those practices are are small and some of them are big some of them have large impact and some of them have small impact and so I think part of what he's trying to say there is there's an attempt in practice based teacher education to figure out what are those most important is another way to if you don't want to like if you don't like high leverage which makes sense not to like that because it it has a weird connotation i think to it but high leverage practices are important practices that have a big impact on the quality of teaching so if we can identify a smaller number of those rather than you know it's very similar to how we think about ngss and big ideas right it's right. much better to know a few big ideas in depth than it is to know lots of tiny little things and you know so he contrasts that um with like uh I think it's not in the first one because I don't think it was around then, but the Lemoff's work. Right. About, you know, teach, teach like, like a champ. Teach yeah. like a champion. So that's exactly the opposite, right? That's breaking teaching down into a bunch of tiny little practices that supposedly make you teach like a champion. Well, you know, I went and after, because I, I don't know, I had a, a colleague who was big into the teach like a champion, yeah. you know, probably like a, you know, maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago, because that original book was out like then yeah. it's on its like third or fourth edition now. And sure. I think now it's up to like 60 or 70 practices that, you know, like these are the things. And I, I will say that's one of the things I enjoyed about reading these articles was the historical perspective, because mm-hmm. there was this, you know, at the turn of the century, not the 20th century, the 19th century was this, you know, actually the 20th century, not the you know, at the early 1900s, what they had done was collected, they sent out surveys. What do you do in your classroom? You know, Mm -hmm. to all these teachers and they assembled this list of hundreds of practices and said, okay, I guess this is what we got to teach teachers to do. That was the, like how the field started, right? It was just like Mm -hmm. assembling these practices and saying, this is what we've got to teach teachers to do, which 
I didn't know that at all. But then, you know, what's interesting to me, and I think this is why we landed on this, was he calls out specifically these, you know, lists of practices, you know, because mm-hmm. the Teach Like a Champion is one of them. The Danielson framework is another. Like mm-hmm. the Daniel, same, Danielson framework is like the game in town in Pennsylvania. Like it's mm-hmm. like how every teacher is evaluated, every student teacher, at least in Millersville, you know, we're, we're assessed student teachers based on the Danielson framework. Um, what it does is it breaks them down into a whole bunch of different, you know, areas and each one of those areas down to further, like where you're proficient or you're beginning or below proficient and all this. Um, but it also throws ambitious science teaching into that same sort of milieu. Well, I'm not sure it does, and at least in the same way. I think he differentiates those a little bit, but, but I, but I do, I do think he, um, he is talking about articulations of practice and right. and the potential and we've talked about this the potential dangers of articulations of practice because it reifies them it makes them static and then that allows people to turn them into um you know a a, um, a heuristic a way of right. doing something without thinking about it uh, an algorithm right and yeah. I think that's the troubling part but um, you know, and and I think we talk about this a lot, and it's certainly a tension that I've had throughout my whole career is that I bristle at articulations of practice, especially highly specific ones, because of that reason, because I think they can lead to, you know, lethal mutations. They can lead to people using those things in evil ways, but then saying, oh, well, this is, you know, what I'm doing here is AST because of X, Y, and Z. And you say, well, actually, that's not AST at all. Um, but it, you, their interpretation of the way that you've articulated the practices is what they're doing. So I do think it's, it's a challenge that we, we face in lots of different areas in education is how do we articulate practices or complex things so that we can share them across communities, but also recognize that by articulating them, there is a danger that they will be taken up in ways that we don't like. Right. Well, I I don't think that either of us would argue that like those things are not important, like those practices. I think it's the, again, like we've, you know, talked about this in several episodes, when we do that, the misuse of that thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like you create a tool and then that thing, that tool becomes the thing, right? And so teaching is then conceptualized as that thing rather than it being a way to look at that thing, right? Right. And so, and I, this is where I, I you know, again, my, my uh, enjoyment of reading this article in Ken Zeichner, this is where he says, the given the plethora of these current models, they seek to claim some portion of the truth. And I'm like, yeah, I can side with that. I mean, there's some mm-hmm. portion of the truth there. Like the fact that he's even like saying, okay, like, yeah, this is, it's like that, the elephant thing we, we talked about sure. before, right? It's part yeah. of the elephant. If we're saying right. that teaching is this mammoth element, elephant that, you know, maybe, you know, teach like a champion's like talking about the tail and then, you know, yeah, but yeah, I mean, there it when it, but when we just focus on the tail, then we're losing the rest of the elephant. Now, yeah. so there's some yeah, portion and, there. right, and and we can certainly talk about how he views that change. I mean, one of the changes he says in his rejoinder is that there has been an effort to talk across these groups to start to think about how these to generalize, I guess, or or paint a broader picture. I don't know what how he would how he would talk about it, but um, to improve the fact that lots of people have different parts of the elephant, is there a way that we can start talking about the right. whole elephant? But um, but for me, the one, 
the sentence that really jumped out at me um, was actually pretty early on, and it was not long after the thousand and one practices, which it was literally a thousand and one practices. It, it was two hundred thousand so, statements, a hundred and one from forty two states. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, he has a statement in his article where he says, what we see in this study, and he's referring to this 84 traits and, you know, whatever, all this crazy study that they did. So what we see in this study, though, is the beginning of an attempt to construct the curriculum of teacher education programs on a scientific basis related to the activities and traits of teachers. So for me, yeah. That, I, I, that I underlined the exact same sentence. Well, that sentence is both um, terrifying and I think, um, you know, the the core of what I think is is wrong with a lot of our approaches to education. And And here's what I mean by that. Right. So when they say scientific basis, I think partly what they're trying to do, and this goes back to the traits and the way that they thought about it and lots of other things, knowledge, disposition, skills. Right which is that we are going to, in the same way we characterize the variety of atoms that exist in the world, because once we can do that, we can describe all sorts of interactions between those atoms. We are going to describe all of these individual pieces of practice um, and articulate them clearly. uh, And and then we will be able to have a science of teaching or a science of teaching teachers because we'll have articulated all these things at this high grain size of specificity and we'll all and it will all be clear and i think the problem for me the fundamental problem with that that we have often talked about on the show is that you know hydrogen atoms are hydrogen atoms but responsive teaching is not responsive teaching right so if if ali has a hydrogen atom in you know way down there in in hershey and i have a hydrogen atom way up here in state college and we have a friend who's over in you know tokyo who also has a hydrogen atom those things are the same and we don't have to worry about them but when we talk about anything having to do with human learning anything what what it means to know what a practice is any of these things that is not the case it is not that th- that those things travel across boundaries without reinterpretation um or rethinking and sometimes radically so so i'm i'm not going to argue with the contextual element of what we do as teachers because i think that i agree with you 100% but the the practice element of teaching okay so if we're going to say that teaching is a practice based thing mm-hmm. right and that you know you you said you're a practice based teacher educator. So this is what Ken Zeichner says, and this is on 174. He says, um, "This is midway midway down." He says, "Providing opportunities for new teachers to learn how to enact specific core practices, like leading a text based classroom discussion by seeing them modeled, and then by rehearsing them, studying them, and repeatedly practicing them, is necessary, along with building the capacity." of teachers to learn in and from their practice as part of teacher inquiry communities. This kind of focused approach to teaching core teaching practices helps develop the professional vision and the skills and enactment that are important at this early stage of development. So what he's saying is that from his point of view, practice-based teaching is about rehearsing, studying, practicing, develop some, some some sort of capacity to do this. And that's what makes it, you know, at least have, have like the, I don't know, the foundational skill set to be able to work in those different environments. Mm-hmm. All right. I can't yeah. argue with that. No. I mean, I don't think there is any argument with that because that's the, I mean, 
but but the question becomes that that is i think a, a thing that we can i don't know argue about or at least we need to consider is is that all that work that he just described um has outcomes or goals associated with it right and it is it and how we frame and consider the goals and greatly impacts the way that those practices manifest the way the rehearsals happen the way the studying happens the because a lot and fundamentally again this has a lot to do with who thinks that they have the right notion of what good teaching is and um and and that's that's very tricky it's not it's not unambiguous i mean i think part of his um well i i don't know where he falls on this i mean his he he feels very much of two minds as to whether he is uh takes a more cognitive perspective right. on learning or whether he takes a more sort of sociocultural perspective i think he straddles that line he straddles that line he seems uh, to to at um, least in this i think we you know brought him on the show i think he'd probably more clearly articulate that but at least at looking at these two articles and the other stuff that i've i i've seen sometimes he lands yeah. a little more cognitively the other times a little more you know constructively um but mm. okay so let me just push back on this a little bit mm. because if we are saying that it's practice practice based so we're going to rehearse these that we're going to practice we're going to get feedback then isn't it critical that we have a target for what that practice looks like and what that practice means? Because we want to say to them, okay, because like this comes back to assessment because assessment is pretty critical here. If it's practice-based and we're going to give these folks an opportunity to like try this out, like our students or, or teacher candidates are going to come in and try whatever, you know, teaching practices we, we deem to be core or important for you it's a uh, AST right now. So we're going to say, okay, here is how we elicit students' ideas. That's one of the core practices of um, ambitious science teaching. So you have an idea of what that looks like, right? And you're mm -hmm. going to assess students based on what you see this as, and you're going to give them Wait, an opportunity. Hold, hold on, hold on. <laughs> All right, uh, go ahead. What does assessment mean? I, that's but that's that. See, this is the leaders leading uh, where I was going. This is where I was going for you. Well, you're the one that's using assessment, and you're saying right. that I'm doing it. So I want to know what you mean by that. If well, you're, I mean, you're claiming I'm doing it, I want to know so what you're, you're charging. If me. we're having folks practice this, right, and improve, then somehow okay. we have to make some sort of judgment of whether how they're doing it, how mm -hmm. well they're doing. We do. Well, I mean, yes. I mean, then it, what the an educator like? What's the purpose of being an educator? Well, that is that that question seems outside of the scope of today's no, conversation. We are teacher educators. This yeah. is from a, the Journal of Teacher Education, so yeah. we're teaching teachers. Okay, yeah. so at some point, as teacher educators, we are have to provide feedback to our teacher candidates. So you're, you are saying when you say that, that you have the right answer. Is that what you're saying? In no, terms of what good I, teaching are, are you? No, I, no I'm, I'm asking. asking you. I'm asking I know, you. I'm asking you <laughs> because you're the one who says that we have to assess them. So let me, let me give you an alternative because I think the challenge here is that the framing of the question makes it impossible for me to answer the question in a meaningful way. Right. Because 
Because the notion of assessment, and this goes back to our dispositional throwdown, it does gets, gets framed in terms of particular things. And and for for um, Zeichner in here, he names knowledge, skills, and dispositions as the things that are being assessed. So I want to point out something very clear about those things. Those are all individual. They are all cognitive. They are not. They are not things that are the kinds of ways that I think about teaching. And they also presuppose that the teacher educator knows both exactly what those things look like and whether somebody is doing them exactly the way that, that they are expected to be done because there's a whole scale and rubric, right? So I think that's a very different notion than saying, okay, here's a, here's a practice that's been identified um, as being high leverage, as productive. It's called eliciting students' ideas. So let's talk about what that means, and then let's practice that, and then let's have a conversation about how that manifests in the classrooms that you're in. That doesn't – yes, I think I know what that looks like, but I think my students somewhat know what that looks like, and I think also the mentor teachers in the classrooms that I'm working in also have notions of what that looks like. And I don't presuppose either that we all have the same notion or that mine is preeminent, that mine is the correct way to elicit student ideas. I have more experience in certain ways. I've thought about it in, in ways that some of the other people haven't, and that is true of them as well. So I think what we have and what we should have in a practice-based teacher learning environment is the social negotiation of meaning of these terms. We should be having a conversation about what does it mean to elicit and not for me to assess an, in a yes, no, high, low sort of way yeah. whether they are doing it or not. No, see, I'm not, I I don't connect net assessment necessarily with like putting a grade on it. No, but I, I in order, say, but, but 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 in order to help someone improve, mm -hmm. you know, to get better at their craft, right? So so there so you're saying just just be careful here because you're saying improve. So that means that you are setting the goal. You're saying this is what better looks like, and I'm giving them feedback towards a specific notion of better that is my notion of better. Right. So if if you walked into a classroom yeah. and a student, one of our teacher candidates, a student teacher was in the class and was not using questioning mm -hmm. to elicit student ideas. Yeah. All right. Was just like, well, Johnny, I know you're probably thinking this and Bobby probably this. And let me just throw these up on this. Uh, you know, I think we bo would both say that person's not meeting the expectations of this practice. Okay. Well, you've put up a really pretty serious straw man here, which is a No, a, I'm like giving you an example of a student yeah, who's not have, have meeting you seen the expectations. That? I mean, that seems like that's huh. a pretty radically extreme example. But if that was the extreme example and I came in and somebody was pretending to know what was in the heads of their kids without having listened to their individual groups talking or whatever. They're just standing at the front saying, Oh, I, I bet Ollie that you're thinking this and I bet Scott you're thinking that. I know that's a like an extreme example, but I'm, yeah. what I'm, we have well, but, extreme examples okay. that we interact with, right? You know? But and what I would do in that circumstance is begin with a conversation about what are you trying to accomplish with that, and tell me how you see that as eliciting students' ideas, right? I'm not saying I'm not saying we don't give feedback, and I'm not saying I, I I'm just saying we have this. And and I'm taking I I understand that I'm taking an extreme position here too, but I do think. Part of the reason I'm doing that is to help us unpack this notion of what it means for us to assume that we have the right answers and therefore that's what 
which teacher ed or for that matter, science classrooms. It's an exact analogy to what happens in the science classrooms. Science teachers stand up at the front and a student in their class voices something that is not canonical. And the first thing that the teacher wants to do is correct them and tell them that they're wrong and tell them that what what they're doing needs to be fixed. And so what I'm what I, all I'm saying is I'm trying to I try to think about teacher education in the way that I think about science teaching, which is that it's about the social negotiation of meaning. It's not about one person having the right answer and trying to communicate that to the people who don't have the right answer. But I, I, I think the difference is that, you know, while there might not be a right answer, there are a bunch of wrong answers, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are a bunch of wrong answers that if teacher, if our teacher candidates went out in the mm-hmm. schools and did some things that helping them through social meaning making isn't going to get them there. So we both read the book, how minds change and what you said exactly contravenes everything in that book as it does everything about the way that I think about how people, but I I believe that there are some people whose minds cannot be changed. Right. I believe that. I believe that. And so the question so then, is, so like, then telling so, them they're wrong is going to change their mind. No, I'm saying that if that there are some people who we have to say, Hey, maybe this isn't your job. Okay. Well, that's a whole different thing. Right. Well, that, but, but I'm saying is like, if we so you can't, move from grading to no, again, kicking people out of the program. So no, I'm, I'm just saying, trying. no, no, no. I'm just saying that if we don't have some sort of standards, and you're saying there's no standards. There's no, I'm, you're not, that, I'm not saying there's no standards. Well, what, you're saying like we're going to come up with this, like like socially construct our understanding of what te- good teaching is. And my, I don't have the Ali, right that's answer. what we do. I'm not saying we should do it. I'm saying that's what we do do. That's what everyone does do. Right. There's so no, I'm just saying that if 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 it's socially constructed and somebody goes, you know what, I think it's okay to be racist in my classroom. Yeah. Because okay. I be- I believe that you know, people's races define their abilities. And so what you're going to do is tell them, no, you're wrong. That's not true. No, I'm going to say, you know what? Maybe the teaching isn't the right job for you. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's fine. And again, you've picked an extreme straw man where somebody actually stands up and says, I'm a racist and I hate, I hate people who are not like me, but I, I just, I I would like, uh, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I mean, I just think we're, we're talking around different things here. Right. So, What what I'm saying is that when you standardize, when you, Ali Dreon, standardize, then what then you're taking on board a bunch of cultural assumptions that go with that, that that you have you are culturally uh, neutral, that your your standards are appropriate for all kids in all contexts, because that's what a standard means, is that this is always true, that you should never interact with kids in X, Y or Z way. That there are there are correct ways to do it and there are incorrect ways to do it. No, I I I didn't say there were correct. I think there's a lot of correct ways to do things, right? You, so you did say there were correct ways, right? Well, no, I think I don't. I'll say there's no one correct way. How about that? Okay, but but you also but said not, that we what, need to have standards. There are some definite wrong ways. Yeah, but that's not in the standards. The standards characterize the right ways, right? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So like, okay. I, I want to come back to the practice-based teaching yeah. because I think like I think we we are using practice in different ways. Okay. You, you and I? Well, maybe you, me, and Ken Zeichner, you know, because I think it's not just practice as 
as in teaching is a practice, mm-hmm. yeah. but it, in order to get better, in order to do this, mm-hmm. you've got to practice. Absolutely. Agree. You know? Yeah. And, yeah, and and part of the notion of practice-based teacher education, and and I think Ken actually has a whole section where he, I think it's in the second one where he titles it, uh, "Moving Teacher Education Closer to the Work of Teaching." Yeah. Right. So yeah, I think pra- one of the fo- foci of practice-based teacher education is to try and make it like again analogous to the way that we think about science is more like teaching. Like teacher education should look more like teaching as much like authentic teaching as we can make it look because the more authentic more it looks like authentic teaching the more you can actually learn about teaching in real context because that's how that works so if you're sitting in a class at the university reading a bunch of books and talking about them that's not preparing you as well as being in the field and having real conversations about how you work with children so you, you you played sports right sure and when you when you practice at a sport, what did the what the coach do in those situations? Coached me. Okay, what does that mean? What does that look like in terms of they gave me feedback. Okay. Yeah. And so, so Yeah, go I, ahead. So but if we take that, that practice. Yep. And say, I mean, not that teaching is a sport, but I mean we have to we have to as teacher educators provide feedback to the folks that we work with right so give me a standard in sport you pick a sport that you played and give me a standard i don't know i mean well i mean i i that's why I, you're the you're more a sporty type than i am you're like okay then pick anything that you like cuz you brought you brought up sports okay, so if you no i like i you know i've been playing the trumpet right yeah. so i know that some of the things i've been working on is articulation and uh, some of that is based on my embouchure of my, and some of it's based on my tonguing and my breathing. Mm-hmm. And so my teacher sits next to me and he says, his name's Keith. And Keith says, Hey, I noticed when you're doing this, that your chin's coming out mm-hmm. and you're changing your embouchure. That's, that's going to maybe help in the short term, but long term, you need to make sure that this, and he's giving me ways to specifically change my lips so that. You know, and he's using all these different metaphors for how I can change my lips and my embouchure to better not just meet this and that like the the song I'm playing, but also being mindful of the fact that when I get more difficult songs, then I'm going to have to do this thing because I'm the range will change, mm-hmm. and that I'll be able to play higher notes and lower notes, and it's helping to pre- prepare me to get to there. Mm-hmm. That specific feedback based on the things I'm doing. Yeah, but it's not a standard. It's specific feedback. I I don't object to right. specific feedback. I'm I'm happy to give students specific feedback, and I do all the time. So, it's so not but it's about based that. on some sort of he's new. He's looking and assessing where I am. Yeah. So you're not against assessment, and you're I'm not, not against provi- providing I'm, feedback. No, because which, neither, which is where I am too. But like, my point is, is that the way that we think about that, and and it. And it, it's implicit in what you were saying. It's implicit in Ken and sometimes explicit in Ken Zeitner is that the way we do that, at least in schools or in teacher ed programs, is to articulate those things in a standard way and then compare students to that standard. So was your trumpet teacher, do they have a standard and were they comparing you to it? And in I, what ways? I, what are the standards? I think if I went to a different trumpet teacher, they would probably be focusing on different things. 
And and could just as easily help you improve your plane, right? Right. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm not saying saying that. And but what, so what, what I'm saying is, what was happening between you and the trumpet teacher, and what happened between me and the, when I was a soccer player, was a social negotiation, right? Like the the coach is is looking at what I'm doing, and based on their own expertise, is trying to give me feedback about how to improve what I'm doing. Um, but there isn't a standard. Uh, they they don't treat everybody the same. They don't think that even the goals of each individual person are the same, right? Because there's a different goal for um, for defenders than there are for for um, offensive players, right? So let let me let me take this a little different direction. Okay, so okay. we're talking about a coach, a player. We're talking about a, a trumpet player, a trumpet teacher. But how do we have a field of teacher education if every person is is socially negotiating with their own to their like to their own standards? Dude, that's what's happening now. When you say it like that, it's it seem it's crazy making to me because that's exactly what's going on. So let's take AST as a as a as an art, well articulated set of high leverage practices, right? So this is well characterized. There's a whole book. It has lots of examples. That lots of stuff. Sure. If you looked at all the AST instruction that's happening, let's just say in classrooms or and and by AST instruction, I mean people who are saying they're doing AST instruction, right? You're going to have a huge range of what that is. And some of that I would agree is AST instruction and some of it I would not agree. And we could do the same at teacher ed level, right? We could say, yeah, these are well-articulated practices. We look across all the teacher ed programs who who stipulate that they're ambitious science teaching teacher ed programs. And there's huge, there's going to be a huge range in how they think about those practices that are enacted. So they're already being socially negotiated. It, it's not a question of do they or don't they get socially negotiated. What I'm saying is, we have to recognize that and see that and not try and position the the standards or the articulations of practice as being correct in some standard universal way. Like they need to be explicitly socially negotiated. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, that's kind of where we started that we said that these things are, are not, you know, the truth. They're a portion of the truth. Right. We, we said that. Yeah. I, but, I mean, I agree with that. You know? Well, but but I do too. But that's that's a different question than what we're talking about, right? The question is like, I, I my, guess or, my orientation to working with pre-service teachers is that I am open to the possibility that I can learn from them about how to teach kids in an ambitious way. That that the feedback does not only go one way. Oh, that the absolutely. Mentor well, but you don't think but, I do. I'm not. No, that's not what I'm saying. Okay. I'm not accusing you of that. What I am saying is that when we orient to the field, when we orient to the work in terms of assessment of skills and knowledge and dispositions and articulate those things in advance, we are positioning ourselves as not learners from our students, but evaluators or assessors of our students based on criteria that we have established. Those they the students had no part in the establishment of those criteria or standards. They they did not their their contributions are are potentially right. I mean, and this goes to goes again right back down to science teaching. Students' contribution to that, if they differ from the standard, whatever that is, and I'm, again, I'm not accusing you of this. I'm just saying in general, if if students' ideas of practice differ from the standard that we have established, 
their evaluation will be low or lower, right? And I think if we think about that and the nature of what that means about kids in our classrooms of different cultural backgrounds and different experiences, that is troubling because that's saying if there are kids in our in our teacher ed program that have different cultural experiences and different backgrounds, then their way of thinking about teaching may may depending on how we how we think about these standards be um, be penalized be be assessed whether it's evaluation grade wise or not assessed and given feedback that is negative and we've seen this happen right this absolutely happens. Well, it does happen, but I think that it's it's necessary to have some targets or standards or some. And you're uh, like in order you to keep say, accusing me of saying there aren't shouldn't be standards. What I'm saying is, well, that, when I started talking about dispositions, you were like, I just I'm disregarding the notion that disposition standards of disposition should exist. That's yeah, what you, yeah. and so. I do, but All that's right. different than saying. So what you're saying is that standards or dispositions, as you frame them, are the way to frame expertise or or ways of assessing students. No, I'm saying there there needs to be some sort of. But well, you're you're not saying some sort of. You're saying dispositions. Well, I'm not. I'm not saying only dispositions, right? Well, okay, but I'm not saying it's not like what's the counter to that? <laughs> like I'm I'm not saying get rid of dispositions and that means have nothing. So that's right. what you're saying is just because I say I don't want dispositions, I don't want standards. And that's that's not fair either. Right. Right? What I'm I mean, I I cleave to a set of practices, right? I use a textbook that articulates practices. So I have a set of if you want to call them that standards. I don't call them that because standards have a connotation and standards mean something and standards have a power dynamic and all sorts of other reasons. I don't like that framing. So if you had a, a teacher, a teacher candidate who said, you know what? I don't believe this AST stuff. It's bunk. Well, right? we have, uh, you, you have those all the time. I have. Those oh, I know. Time. So yeah. what do you do with them? I have a conversation with them and I hope that they change right. their mind, but I, what am I going to do? I mean, this, it, again, it goes back to this idea of how do minds change it? it so if if I make the assumption that every kid that comes through my class who doesn't have the same perspective on teaching as me is A, wrong, and B, potentially not a, a valuable contributing member of the teaching force, I think that puts me in a very weird position. I'm not saying that there aren't people that I that that we need to consider whether teaching is the right job for them. That's not – I don't want to talk about that. That's, that's a nit – it's an edge case, and it seems not that relevant to this conversation. But the but the bigger question is like, what do I do with people who are in my class who disagree with me? And one choice is to try and harangue them and tell them why they're wrong. And the other choice is to have a conversation with them about why they think what they think and why I think what I think, and then compare that to experiences that we're sharing together. Wow. This is not where I expected us to end up today. We're, we're back. At, so now we have part two of the dispositional throwdown. We right. just didn't expect it to we occur. We didn't expect it to occur today. Nobody wow. expects the dispositional <laughs> throwdown. Oh, my goodness. I, I'm glad I have a 20-year relationship with you because. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yes. I mean, the, both ways. I think. Right. I mean. I mean, this is so I'll be honest, like this is the struggle that I have is when I try to articulate the way that I think about these things, I do feel like I'm taking crazy pills and I'm talking to, um, you know, I mean, 
again, we have a 20 year relationship. We have a deep respect and love for each oh, other. Absolutely. And, and yet you think I'm a crazy person and I don't think no, there should be standards. This is and, one of those times where I go, yeah, he's kind of living in that ivory tower. That's what I feel like. Oh, I think I actually a- exactly the reverse, actually. A hundred percent exactly the reverse. Because I actually live in schools. I actually do this work in schools with kids and what do you think I do? That I just hang out in my no, no. office? No, I'm saying compared to the vast majority of people who do teacher education, right? The faculty right. who teach the methods courses. But but also just like I think this is the way the world actually works. I don't think this is Ivory Tower. I think this is you know, again, no. to talk about McGraney's book, to talk about lots of other ways, like social negotiation is the way we learn and understand the world. And if we just pretend that that it's not the case, then that's who's living in the ivory tower. The ivory tower has been built out of this stuff. The ivory tower has been built out of articulating things carefully so that they can be they can be measured. That's what the ivory tower did for us. And so when you say dispositions are more true to the environment or to, to reality than, than what I'm describing, that seems crazy to me. No, see the way I look at it is that, you know, I, I'm working right where we are, have struggling teacher candidates. Like I, and by struggling, I mean that they're not being effective in their classroom Mm -hmm. and helping to support student learning. Yeah. And we have difficult conversations with them. Yeah. And, and that requires specific, like, like when's, yeah, we're going to get a lot, we're going to go down this rabbit hole again, but, but that's like, it's like boots on the ground, hands dirty sort of conversations with struggling teacher candidates. Yeah. And I have those too. And it's not like tons of them. It's not like we, but you get enough of them where they're just like, they don't understand and you, like what they're doing wrong. And you're like, well, have you looked at this student or well, what about this student? And, and they're like, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not seeing what you're seeing. And I'm trying to explain to them or trying to get them to, to reflect on that stuff. And it's like, it's, it's like Ken Zeichner is saying that there has to be some at least core set of practices that we say, here's what you're working towards. Here's what you're going to practice. And this is the feedback we're going to give you to help you improve towards that. You're going to practice them. We're going to rehearse them. We're going to give you feedback to help you improve. So do you think that that... I'm not saying that? No, but like, but, but it sounds like you think I'm not saying that. And that's exactly the opposite of what I'm saying. I mean, I a hundred percent agree with you on that. Okay. All right. Well, we need to get into Joyce. Yeah. So we have a tight schedule today. I have a quick one. It's, it's related. I just finished the uh, the latest Malcolm Gladwell book, uh, the Bomber Mafia. Um, I would say it is a it was a joy for me. I enjoyed reading it. It was not my favorite Malcolm Gladwell book, mm. um, but it was related because here's w- w- the Bomber Mafia is about um, the start of the Air Force during the World War Two, and there was a a group of uh, Air Force folks who believed that. It was going to that you know air dominance was going to save you know warfare or change warfare, and that what they were going to do was precision bomb places, and that was going to save um, lots of wars. And so these folks like double kept doubling down on this, kept doubling down on the fact that okay, precision bombing is the way to go. Um, They're wrong at the time. You know what ended up happening was mass bombings of napalm was what you know caused Japan to surrender. Um, so it was exactly the opposite, despite, you know, 
all this evidence to the contrary, these folks kept doubling down on their belief that mm -hmm. precision bombing was the way to go. Um, yeah. So it was a good read. I would say that the, the challenge for me was at the end, precision bombing ultimately is the way it's, it's done now. They laser sight things and it's like, so it's like this whole argument that Malcolm Gladwell, you know, laid out um, pretty much is, you know, undermined in the epilogue. <laughs> Or prologue, yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not going to ask you whether I'm the bombing mafia or you are, because that's just going to take <laughs> us down a rabbit hole. So yes. we'll, we'll just let people figure that out on their own. All right, um, I'll do a quick one too. Um, so I've been playing with, uh, well, I'm I'm getting older as you are, uh, and so I I do things that I can to try and ameliorate the effects of um, my body being a crumbling organism. Um, and so one of the things I do is I, I, um, use this app called elevate. It has a whole bunch of different games in it that are math, reading, writing, whatever, um, memory. Um, and I really, I really do like it. It only takes about five minutes of my day, but you know, you talk about your wordles and things, and this is sort of my equivalent of that. So, uh, so it gives you a little five, like every day you get five games to play and you play those games and then you're done for the day if you want. And, um, yeah, I, I like it. It's been elevate, uh, elevate, um, I'll have to check it out. Yeah. It makes, it makes me feel like I'm going to the gym for my brain and it only takes me five minutes. So mm. it's, uh, it's right, right in my wheelhouse. Maybe I need that after today's conversation. Yeah. Hey, I think Scott, we both need to lie down. That's what we need. <laughs> you know, I respect you. I hold you in high regard. You're one of my best friends. I, I want to make sure that everyone out there hears that, yeah. you know? We should yeah. say that at the beginning of the show because by <laughs> at this point people They're are like, like, "What the heck? These guys hate each I other." I can't listen to this anymore. <laughs> these guys, these guys are going to butcher each other if they ever yeah. meet in person. So well, no, hey, there will be a next time, and we'll catch be. you then. Yeah, in between, see you then. bye, bye now. <laughs>